Welcome to the Disney Wedding Podcast. This show is brought to you by Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, the only guidebook and bridal organizer tailored exclusively to Disney's fairy tale weddings at Walt Disney World. I'm Carrie Hayward, and each week I feature Disney wedding updates, money saving tips, and interviews with wedding vendors and real Disney couples. I also cover honeymoons, anniversaries, and engagements at the Disney parks and resorts. Join me now as the Disney Wedding Podcast celebrates romance at Disney destinations. Today on the Disney Wedding Podcast, we are talking all about how to get started planning your wedding or vow renewal at Walt Disney World. Whether you've been planning your Disney wedding in your head for years or you just discovered that Disney does weddings, today we have the steps and tips that will set you on the path to your dream Disney's fairy tale wedding or vow renewal. My guest today is Kelly McGrath, who had her wedding at Walt Disney World, and together we are going to cover the pricing of Disney World weddings, how to book them, and what the planning process looks like. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about your own Walt Disney World wedding? Yes. So I always knew I wanted to get married in Disney World since I was a little girl, That was solidified when I did the Disney College program and fell even more in love with the Disney company and specifically Walt Disney World. My now husband isn't the biggest Disney fan, but of course he let my dream wedding come to life. So we ended up getting married in October, October 15th. So we had our rehearsal dinner the night before, followed by a welcome dessert party at the marina patio and terrace that was dessert only and then our wedding was at the wedding pavilion we had kind of two pre-receptions we served just mickey pretzels at whitehall room and patio and then we had our actual cocktail hour at italy isola and then our reception at American Rotunda. So that kind of gives you guys an idea of what our wedding weekend was like. <laughs> That's great. We're going to talk about all those different kind of events. So anyone who's wondering what a pre-reception is, that's Disney's fancy name for a cocktail hour. We are going to go over all of that. Before we get started, I want to make sure you know that this show and my book, Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, are all about Walt Disney World weddings and vow renewals. So if you are planning for Disneyland or for the Disney Cruise Line, my top recommendation is to find one of the Facebook groups full of other people who are planning that kind of event, and that is where you're going to find the most current information. So let's get started with Walt Disney World. The first thing everybody wants to know when they start thinking about doing a Disney wedding is how much does it cost? So Disney does not have any wedding or vow renewal packages, and they treat weddings and vow renewals interchangeably. So no matter what you call it, you're going to pay the same amount, and it's not a package where you pay a flat amount and you get X, Y, and Z. Instead, Disney has what they call an event minimum expenditure, which is a total amount of money that you have to spend, and your personal event minimum expenditure is going to be based on three things. The ceremony venue you pick, the day of the week you pick, and the time of day you pick. So just because somebody else got married at the wedding pavilion doesn't mean that their cost is going to be the same as your cost, and that's why I have a budget in the back of Carrie Hayward's Fairytale Weddings Guide that helps you figure out your personalized cost. 
Now, when you have a ceremony, there's a ceremony venue fee that counts toward the event minimum, and that starts at $7,000. So you can look up your ceremony venue or the ones that you're thinking about in chapter one of the Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, and it will show you what the event minimum expenditure is based on that venue and also what that venue's ceremony fee is. So then to calculate the cost of your wedding, you're going to take the event minimum that's based on the three things we talked about, ceremony venue, day of the week, time of day, take that event minimum, subtract the ceremony venue fee, and everything else is the amount you have to spend on anything Disney can offer you in order to have a Disney wedding. For example, if you decided you wanted to have your wedding at the wedding pavilion on a Friday at 5 p.m., you would have a $25,000 event minimum. The ceremony venue fee for the wedding pavilion is $8,000, so you subtract that from the $25,000, and that leaves you $17,000 that you have to spend with Disney on anything else that they provide. So floral, decor, food, cake, transportation, entertainment, photo, video, all of those things, if you get them through Disney, will apply to that $17,000 that you need to spend after you pay for the ceremony venue fee. For example, I got married on a Sunday and that was a little bit cheaper than the Saturday I had originally wanted. And there's also some limitations on the venues I wanted for Saturdays that weren't available. So that's why I ended up moving to a Sunday. That's a really good point. I think for most people, when they think of a wedding, they think of a Saturday night event. And when you start looking into Disney weddings at Walt Disney World, you quickly realize that brunch is going to be cheaper. So a daytime event is going to be cheaper and Saturday is the most expensive day. So if you can be flexible, it's definitely going to help you cut your costs. Exactly. And also I was worried about guests not being able to come on a Sunday, but when you really think about it, to get there for Saturday, they're probably taking off Friday. So it's no different to just have them take off Monday instead if they can't take off both days or something like that. (laughs) Yes, that is another excellent point. A lot of times people balk at this idea, you know, I'm going to have a wedding that's at brunch and it's on a Wednesday. But when you are at Disney, you are on vacation and your guests do not care whether it's on the Tuesday of their vacation or the Saturday of their vacation. They are there for your wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So then if you decide you want to add a reception or some kind of meal to your ceremony, there are a couple of options. If you want a private catered event provided through Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings, your two options are a full reception, which means it's three hours or more, or something that Disney calls a celebration. And that is a one to two hour event. They call it a walk around event because... You can have any kind of food you want. You can have savory food. You could have just desserts. You could have a combination. But you can't do sit-down kinds of food where people all have to be in a seat with a steak knife sawing into something. So like I said, they call it a walk-around event to kind of make that distinction between a celebration and a full reception. Some of the other differences with a celebration, because it's only one to two hours, there's no time for dancing. Usually if you want to do ceremonial first dances, like the mother-son dance or the father-daughter dance, you would do those at the ceremony site after the ceremony. And that saves money too, because you can use your ceremony musician for that. Another thing about the celebration is that if it is outside in the parks, so if you're at the French Terrace and you're going to watch fireworks during your celebration, you're not going to be able to have amplified entertainment while the park is open. And since the celebration only lasts two hours, your event won't be long enough to hit park close. So there's just no time to have amplified entertainment. 
The other thing you can't have is characters if your event is outside in the parks. So in that case, you might want to consider a location like the Grand Floridian Marina, which Kelly used for her welcome party. That is one of the very few outdoor locations where you can have characters. So that would allow you to see the fireworks. And then after the fireworks, you could have the characters come. After you've decided whether you want to have a full reception or a celebration, these are the prices. And these are per person food and beverage minimums that are concurrent with all of your other costs that count toward the event minimum expenditure. So these prices we're going to talk about are not on top of the event minimum expenditure, they count toward it. So if you decide that you want to have a breakfast or a brunch, it's $140 per person. To qualify for this, it's all based on your ceremony time. So breakfast and brunch would be for a ceremony that's at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 9.30 a.m. And generally, these receptions, if you do a full reception, it's four hours. Now, if you decide you want to do lunch, that's $180 per person, and that would be triggered by a noon ceremony, and usually those are five hours. And usually when Disney says a five-hour reception, they're including one hour for a cocktail hour, which they refer to, as we mentioned, as a pre-reception. And then if you decide that you want to have a ceremony at 2.30 p.m., 5 p.m., or 7.30 p.m., you are going to be triggering the dinner food and beverage minimum, which is $240 per person now. So if you decide you don't want a full reception, then you are looking at celebration pricing. So that's the one to two hour walk around event we talked about. And that is $125 per person. So you don't have to spend as much on food and beverage for a celebration. Now, these food and beverage minimums can be met by any food and drinks and cake that you have at your cocktail hour, pre-reception, or your reception, or at your celebration. So I think a lot of times people forget that the cake and the drinks also count toward that per person. So one of my many suggestions for saving money is to take that minimum, say it's 180, you're doing a lunch, subtract the cost per person of your bar, subtract the per person cost of your cake, and then tell Disney, I want a menu that is X, whatever the result is, it's X per person. And that's a great way to stick to your minimums. There are many different ways that you can put this together to have a Disney wedding. So maybe you'll decide you just want to do a ceremony via Disney, and then you go make a reservation at a restaurant for your group someplace else. This works best if you have a small group, but sometimes people will even go off property and maybe have a formal reception with some non-Disney hotel because it's so much cheaper. Another option would be to do just a ceremony and a celebration, and that celebration could be a cake and champagne event, maybe directly following the ceremony, where you have your cake, you do a cutting, the characters come, you do a toast, your first dances. Or what a lot of people like to do is they do a dessert party. So if your ceremony is in the morning, you take a break, you give your guests time to relax, you get to take a nap, and then everybody gets back together in the evening. And for one or two hours, you watch the fireworks and you have desserts. You could add savory food if you want. Just because we call it a dessert party doesn't mean it has to be desserts. And so it's a fun, informal meal to accompany your ceremony. And then, of course, there's the option to do a ceremony and a full reception. And if you want, you could do a dessert party, too. You might do it the night before. You might do it after the reception. There are many different combinations for this. But just know that the dessert party or any other event besides the reception will not count toward your event minimum. So if you are trying to stick to the minimum expenditure, only the ceremony and the first catered event that you have directly following the ceremony will count. Either your dessert party, if that's all you're doing, 
or your full reception. But if you have a full reception and a dessert party on the same day, only the full reception will count toward the event minimum expenditure. And then the last combination, which a lot of people don't think about, is you could just do your reception with Disney's fairy tale weddings. This I see a lot with couples who are Catholic and they want to get married in a church, and then they come over to Walt Disney World to have their reception. The event minimum to have just a reception is the same as a ceremony event would be at that location. So if you decide you want to have your reception in Animal Kingdom, even though you're not having a ceremony, you would still have that event minimum expenditure of an Animal Kingdom ceremony. And then on top of all of this, there is a 25% service charge and there's 6.5% Florida tax. And neither of those count toward the event minimum. So this can add a lot to your price. And that's why my self-calculating budget that starts on page 242 of the Fairy Tale Weddings Guide ebook calculates these for you. And they break it out as a separate line item. So you can see, oh, you know, because service charge is only applied to food and some audiovisual elements, if I lower my food costs, I'm going to lower how much I pay for a service charge. Kelly, did you guys ever consider just having a celebration after your ceremony? Or did you always know you wanted the ceremony and a full reception? I knew that I wanted just to do the full reception. I think we had toyed with the idea of having a dessert party afterwards. But once we put the timeline of our whole wedding day event together, our reception ended up starting too late to even consider having a dessert party afterwards. So that's why we ended up moving it to the day before and having it kind of as our welcome party. And something to know about that for listeners is that if you do have another event, like a welcome event the day before or a farewell event the next day, there's no overall event minimum expenditure for that. You just meet the minimums for whatever location you choose. So that can be kind of cool because then you're just paying for exactly the venue fee and exactly what the venue requires you to spend on food and beverage, but you're not worrying about meeting another $15,000 or something for those events. Another cool thing about Kelly's wedding is that because she had her pre-reception during the fireworks in Epcot before proceeding to American Adventure Rotunda, that was a great way to have a dessert party-like experience, not necessarily with desserts, but it gives people a private place to view the fireworks, and it's incorporated in the day without having to add a whole separate dessert party. We were actually pretty lucky because the welcome dessert party Since we had it at Marina Patio, you can actually see Happily Ever After from there because it overlooks Magic Kingdom across the lagoon. And then at cocktail hour, they got to see the Epcot fireworks. So I think they were all shocked and surprised. So I really loved just seeing everyone's reactions because a lot of the people who came to our wedding aren't necessarily Disney people. So they had no idea what to expect. And we kept a lot of these little details, surprises for everyone. So it really was like a whole experience of a day and they didn't really know what to expect. But I think everyone really enjoyed it. That's fantastic. Yeah, getting to see Disney fireworks is something your guests will probably have never seen at any other wedding unless they've been to another Disney wedding. (laughs) Okay, so now the next thing people are asked as soon as they find out what the prices are The next thing they ask is, how do I control the costs? So just to review, the cheapest Disney's fairy tale wedding at Walt Disney World is going to be a $15,000 event minimum expenditure. The cheapest ceremony fee is $7,000, so that would leave you $8,000 to spend. 
how do you cut costs so that you can stay within that $15,000 overall? The number one tip I have is to limit your guest list and then by extension, limit the number of attendants you have. So often you'll get some attrition just because you're having a destination wedding unless you live in Florida. But if you can keep your guest list low, that's the number one way to keep your costs down because it costs less to feed that many people and to transport them. And if you limit your attendance, that's fewer bouquets you have to buy for bridesmaids, boutonnieres for groomsmen, fewer gifts. Sometimes people even pay for the hair and makeup up for their attendance. If you have no attendance, you don't have to pay for any of that. (laughs) So it's not a popular opinion, but it's one of my top tips if you are trying to stick to a budget. That's a great tip because I didn't do either of those things. (laughs) We went to one of the open houses that Disney has for the wedding pavilion and I had told one of the ladies there that I was interested in the American Rotunda and she kind of said that that's one of the spaces that has an 85 person minimum and we were kind of worried we wouldn't hit 85 people like I didn't think that 85 people would come fly down to Florida because I'm from New York so pretty much all of our guests had to fly there so we kind of added extra people we didn't think would come and you would be shocked how many people would drop everything at a chance to go to a Disney wedding (laughs) so (laughs) Don't expect people to not come, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) That's great advice. Okay, so the next biggest way to control your costs is to hold your event on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, because those are the lowest priced days of the week, and have a brunch event. And as I mentioned, sometimes people have trouble wrapping their head around this because to them, a wedding is a Saturday night affair with drinks and dancing. But a brunch wedding, especially if you want something casual, is a great way to save money. You can even cut out alcohol if you want to because people are not expecting a full bar that early in the morning and that saves you even more money. So that's another great way to save money. And then, as we mentioned, you could just decide to do a ceremony only or you could do a ceremony and add a reservation at Ohana in the evening or you could do a ceremony and all get back together in the evening for a dessert party. So there are other things you don't have to do the full traditional wedding if you are trying to save money at Walt Disney World. And if you are looking at this and you're like, there's no way I can't afford a $15,000 wedding at Walt Disney World, but I still want to get my portraits taken in Magic Kingdom because that is only open to people who have had an official Disney's fairy tale wedding. The cheapest way to do that would be to have a cruise wedding on the Disney Cruise Line, which starts at $4,000 on top of your cruise fare. And that would qualify you for the portraits inside Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, and Animal Kingdom which take place before the park opens. And they're an amazing opportunity, very expensive, but exclusive to people who have had Disney's fairy tale weddings. And I have a whole episode about that, how much they cost, where you can go, what it's like. And I will put the link to that in the notes for this post on DisneyWeddingPodcast.com. So if you're looking to control your costs and you've figured out, you know, your guest list and when you're going to do it, The best way to keep a lid on costs is to make a sample budget. So some people do this in a program like Excel, or they use the one in the back of my fairy tale weddings guide, which is tailored to Walt Disney World weddings. So like I said, it calculates the service charge and tax. It knows what things get service charge and tax and what does not. And then it will show you how you're doing against your event minimum expenditure. So there's a box on the last page and you can see, oh, I'm $2,000 shy of meeting my $15,000 event minimum expenditure, or I'm 
over. Let me go back and reduce my spending on X, Y, and Z and see if I can get that number back down to the minimum. One thing that we did with our planner was that she suggested there were a couple of things that I was kind of on the fence about if I wanted it include or not. And she kind of suggested that we just add it all in. And then once we got our final budget to look through that you can adjust from there. So you pretty much have, I think it's until 30 days before to make changes. So, you know, if you're trying to control your costs, you can always cut things out. That worked for us. We kind of added everything we thought we wanted and we kind of chipped away at it as it got closer and where we could save money we did. And that was that was a great help for us. That's a really great point because sometimes it can be hard to get a hold of your planner to get individual pricing for things, especially if you're, you know, 40 days out and you're like, you know what, let's add X, Y, and Z. How much does it cost? And then you got to wait two weeks to hear the price. So yeah, if you add everything you think you want at the beginning, like when you're doing your planning session, which we're going to talk about in a second, then they will look up the prices for you and you'll have all the prices and you can make an informed decision instead of always having to go back to them and be like, what if we did this? What if we did that? So if you are listening to this, you've decided, that's it, I'm going to go for it. I want to book my wedding or vow renewal at Walt Disney World. How does booking work? So first of all, Disney has a window within which you are able to start talking to them and booking your event. So if you decide you want to do a wedding or a vow renewal that has a full three or more hour reception, you can contact Disney 16 months out from your date and you can book 12 months out from your date. If you decide that you only want to do a ceremony or you want to do a ceremony and a celebration, you can start talking to Disney at 12 months out from your date and you can book at 10 months out from your date. And the way you will get in touch with them, you can call them. Their phone number is 321-939-4610. You can send them a message on Facebook or you can use the form on their website, which in practice, it seems like people say that takes the longest to get responses when you use the form on their website. So like I said, you can start talking to them at 16 months or 12 months, but you won't be able to book until the 12 month mark or the 10 month mark, depending on the type of event that you want. So then the timeline, once you start working with a sales consultant, so the first person you work with at Disney is a wedding sales consultant, and they're going to hammer out all the details of your contract, which Disney calls a letter of agreement, and then eventually you'll be passed to an event planner. So if you've been talking to them before the 12-month or 10-month deadline, you can remind your wedding sales consultant when you approach the actual 12-month, 10-month date that you want to book. And then once you're in contact with them, they will start drawing up your letter of agreement. Again, that's your contract. And it usually takes them about two weeks to get it all together. But you don't have to stress out because your date and venues will be locked in until they send you the letter of agreement. So if it's taking them a while to get it to you, don't worry, you're not going to lose the date and time that you want. And then once they send you that contract, you have two weeks to sign it and return it. And when you sign and return the letter of agreement, you also have to pay your deposit. So that's a $4,000 deposit for every location except Magic Kingdom. At Magic Kingdom, you're looking at a $15,000 deposit for daytime ceremonies and a $25,000 deposit for after-hours events. One thing to note about the letter of agreement is we kind of had a little bump in the road with that because we were estimating that 100 people would come for the wedding. And they ask you for an approximation of guests that you're going to have. And uh, some of the venue locations we chose for our pre-receptions and the dessert party 
could only hold a certain number of people. So that was kind of a problem. So I would just suggest that you make sure that your guest count on your letter of agreement is as close to what it will be that day as possible, just so you can avoid any bumps in the road like we had. That's a really good point. And you also want to make sure that you don't overestimate your guests because you will be on the hook for 80% of the number that's in your letter of agreement. So if you did say you were going to have 100 people and then for some reason you only had 40, you're still going to have to pay for 80 people based on the letter of agreement. So yes, if you can get as close as possible, that is awesome. But don't stress out if you do have to change locations like Kelly did, because as long as the location is available, you will just sign a quick little addendum to your letter of agreement and you'll be all set. It's not like a super hard thing to do if you do change your mind later or your party outgrows the venue that you originally chose. So then how does the planning process work for a Disney's fairy tale wedding at Walt Disney World? Well, Disney doesn't assign you an actual event planner until eight months out now. So between the time when you're finished working with your sales consultant and when you're assigned an event planner, there is a general email address that you can send questions to. And that is wdw.df as in Frank, t as in Tom, w.planner at disney.com. And it helps if you put the reference number from your letter of agreement in the subject line so that anybody can answer your email and quickly look up your event to answer your questions. And then once you get your event planner, you can schedule with them a virtual planning session. Sometimes people have more than one virtual planning session. They don't do in-person planning sessions anymore. But the virtual planning session is your chance to cover your wedding timeline from start to finish. So they just sit down and they start with where are you getting ready and they take you all the way through the end of the event and all of the logistics that go along with all of that. And it's a great time, as Kelly was saying, to tell them all the things you're thinking that you want so that they can then come back to you with all the prices for the things that you want. So then about four weeks after your planning session, your planner will get back to you with something called a BEO. This is the Banquet Event Order, and it's basically the Bible of your day. It shows every single thing that you've requested and how everything's going to go and the scheduling and how your names are going to be spelled on the message board. Everything that you want to have happen needs to be in this BEO, but you will have multiple opportunities to edit it. So go over it with a fine-tooth comb, send it back to your planner. This is wrong. This needs to be changed. I've changed my mind about this. This is a living document that you'll be working on. And then on the day of the event, the experience team will be using the BEO to make sure everything happens the way you want it to. Pricing for individual items is not locked in till six months out. So the cost of your venue, the food and beverage minimum of your venue, if you add Cinderella's glass coach to your letter of agreement, anything in your letter of agreement is going to be locked in. But individual things like how much does a motor coach cost or what does a full rose bouquet cost? Those prices aren't locked in until six months out. So sometimes that's why you have to wait to get your BEO after your planning session because you're not within that window. And then once it's in your BEO, you'll get that price even if Disney raises the price for future couples. One thing I wish that I did for my wedding, which I would recommend, is that for those virtual planning sessions, I wish that I had more of an idea of exactly what I wanted for the wedding day because that's really the time to sit down with your planner where you're on Zoom with them, you're seeing them face to face. And after that, at least for me, everything was through email. So I definitely wish that I had more of an idea of what I wanted. Obviously, you're not going to know everything at that point, but that's just a tip. 
Yeah, that's a really good point because you don't get very much face time with your planner in the months leading to planning. And sometimes, depending on the size of your event, your planner might not even be at your event. So if you are able to, through research, you know, you have a Pinterest board, you've been combing over Carrie Hayward's Fairytale Weddings Guide to get an idea going into your planning session of what you want. Yes, it's awesome to be able to talk to your planner in person about that. The other opportunity, if you are having a full reception, is you will be invited to a menu tasting about three or four months before your date. And they do this cool thing now where in addition to this group menu tasting where a bunch of other couples are there and they have samples of the kind of food, they have samples of table decorations and bouquets and things like that. They also have planners circulating, sometimes even your planner, and they can look up your BEO and you can sit down and talk to them in person about things. So if you are having a full reception and you're not using California Grill, this is a great opportunity also to work directly with your planner rather than via email. Yeah. When we went to the food tasting, we actually got to sit down with one of the Disney chefs who's on the wedding team and he was able to like talk to me and like, I'm a vegetarian. So I was able to talk to him about different options for vegetarian friendly menus. And we actually wanted a ramen bar at our cocktail hour because one of my husband's favorite Disney foods is the ramen in Japan. So since our cocktail hour was in Japan, we thought that would be a great little homage to our favorite food there. And he said he had never heard that idea and he loved it and he kind of walked us through what that would look like. And it was a really awesome experience to go there and actually talk to everyone in person and talk to the chefs and eat the food, which everything is delicious. So if you have the chance to go to your food tasting, I would 100% recommend it. That is a great point. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, and I have a whole show about how to plan your menu for your Disney wedding because Disney can do pretty much anything. The PDF of menus that your planner sends you is just the tip of the iceberg. And so if you are able to go to the menu tasting and talk to an actual chef, they love it when you come up with new things or when you ask them for their advice. They get to cook things that they don't usually get to cook or try new things. Yes, if you can go to the menu tasting and work with a chef in person, it is amazing. Yeah, they also had people from the pastry team there. They had a string quartet playing. It was a really fun experience. (laughs) That's awesome. Unfortunately, if you're only doing a celebration or if your event is at California Grill, at Enchanted Rose, or at Trader Sam's, you won't be invited to a menu tasting because those venues don't use the catering team. But otherwise, yes, you will get an invite to this menu tasting, and both of us highly recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) So then what happens is 90 days out from your event, your event minimum expenditure is due. So that number we talked about at the beginning of the show, that, you know, $15,000 or $25,000, you need to pay all of that at 90 days out. And sometimes people get stressed out because they might not have their BEO back from their planning session, but you don't need it to know how much that payment is going to be because that payment is the same no matter what you decide on your BEO. It's based on your date, time, and venue, not on the things like whether you're having transportation or what your menu is going to be like. Now, 30 days before the event, your BEO will be finalized, and that's also the cutoff for things like your cake design and floral and decor. So... At that time, 
you should have a final BEO, but do not stress out if you don't, because especially when they were playing catch up last year, sometimes people were getting their BEO the week before their event. And it's not ideal, but it is the way it sometimes works. So do not stress out if at exactly 30 days out from your wedding, you don't have a final BEO, you can keep working on it. And you can even if you're not sure what your final payment is going to be, because it's based on the BEO, you can wait to pay it until you get a final BEO. And then on the day of the event, an experience team, which is a whole different set of people, is going to handle your event, and they're going to use that BEO as their Bible to make sure that everything happens according to the way you've planned it with your event planner. A lot of people, especially if you're doing a lot of DIYs or you have outside vendors, it's popular now to hire an outside vendor to be a day of coordinator. And if you can afford this and your wedding has enough moving parts, I highly recommend it because the experience team, they are venue coordinators and their job is to make sure that everything at the venue, the catering team, the way things are set up, make sure all of that goes great. But it's not their job to bustle your dress or figure out why five of your bridesmaids are missing. So it can be great to have somebody else who knows exactly how everything's going to go, who can be an extra set of hands for you. And then to get the full look at the planning process, check out chapter one of Carrie Hayward's Fairytale Weddings Guide. I talk about the cake tasting kit that they offer. I talk about the menu tasting a little bit more and just what to expect in a timeline through your whole planning process. Did you guys have a day of coordinator or anything like that? We didn't, but I was a little nervous because, you know, you're emailing your event planner and their assistants for months on end going back and forth, making all of these changes to all of these little details. And I knew that the BEO had all that information in it, but I was a little worried about that transition to the day of experience team. And at least for all of my events, I probably had like six different cast members helping with my entire wedding weekend. And there is nothing to worry about because Disney is so on top of everything and so efficient and all of their entire team is so wonderful. I felt like everything was so taken care of and I really had no worries the day of. That's great to hear. So if you've decided that you want to go for it, you're going to do a wedding or a vow renewal at Walt Disney World. I highly recommend getting the Fairytale Weddings Guide because it is a 234-page guidebook that contains all the answers that you're not going to get from Disney until much closer to your date. So this helps you set yourself up for success by knowing exactly what you want when you do get to the point where you can call or email Disney to start the process. The book also contains comprehensive and current pricing information with free ebook updates. So if you get the ebook version, you're always going to be able to download whatever new version comes out. And a new version came out this week because Disney raised a few more prices at the beginning of the year. So once you've purchased the ebook, all you have to do is go back into your account. You can re-download the guide and you will have all of the latest prices, even if your wedding isn't for two years. The budget worksheet that I've been mentioning automatically calculates your personalized cost, including tax and service charge. So you'll know exactly what your wedding will cost and not what somebody else's wedding that was kind of like what you want cost. There's a 56-page bridal organizer that you can use to track all the details of your day, like the music list for your DJ, the guest list, who's going to sit at what table. All of that can be done in the bridal organizer in the back of the fairy tale Weddings Guide. There's a whole section on money-saving tips. We've talked about some of our big ones today, and there's a list of big ones and then a list of little ones, all of which can work together to help you save money. 
There's also a chapter on Disney alternatives. So if you decide that, you know what, a Disney wedding is a little bit out of the budget or it's not quite for you, I have a whole chapter about the alternatives that are on property like the Swan and Dolphin or Paddlefish at Disney Springs. And then there's complete information on private dining and group dining if you're having a ceremony only, or if you want to add a rehearsal dinner. I have a list of the most popular restaurants at Disney Springs that have private rooms, or maybe they don't have a private room, but they're used to working with groups and they have a separate section they can put you in. This book explains every step of the planning process, which we just touched on in this episode, but you'll see the whole detailed breakdown in chapter one. And there is a chapter at the back on honeymoons and anniversaries. So when you're ready to go back for one of those, or if you're trying to get some ideas of special things you can do on your honeymoon, there is a chapter for that inside Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide. I actually bought Carrie's Guide way before I even had my date set in because There's really not a whole lot of information before you get in touch with your sales consultant. And even when I did get in touch with the sales consultant, they kind of sent me one really long email with a whole bunch of different links and websites and PDFs. And it was very overwhelming. So I felt like it was awesome to have Carrie's Fairytale Weddings Guide and just have all of the information in one spot. And, you know, with Disney, you don't really get an idea of how much the entire wedding's going to be until they send you that final BEO. So having that budget worksheet, it was really helpful for us. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because yeah, that is the reason I wrote this. I had my own Disney wedding and at that time they wouldn't even tell you how much your wedding was going to cost until you signed your letter of agreement. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I, I'm not going to sign something without knowing how much this is going to cost. So then I wrote a book that had all the prizes in it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Very helpful. I was very grateful for it during that process before we were deep into the planning process. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Kelly, I think you've offered a ton of great tips and advice for anyone who's interested in getting married or having a vow renewal at Walt Disney World. And I appreciate your taking the time. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's our show for today. I'm your host, Carrie Hayward, inviting you to join me again next week for another episode of the Disney Wedding Podcast. Past shows and tons of photos for each episode are available on my website, DisneyWeddingPodcast.com, or listen in your favorite podcast app. And for instant answers to all your Walt Disney World wedding questions, check out Carrie Hayward's Fairy Tale Weddings Guide, available as an interactive ebook with continual free updates at FairyTaleWeddingsGuide.com. <laughs>